Okay, on three, we'll do five. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Glenn Oslin. And Infants on Thrones is 10 years old. Now, some of you have been on this ride with me the entire time, and many of you haven't. Regardless, I always appreciate hearing from listeners who have changed over the years, as I've changed and this podcast has changed. We're all always growing from one thing into something else. And it's been an incredible ride. It's still going, of course. But I want to commemorate this 10-year birthday of Infants on Thrones by revisiting some of my favorite infant episodes from the past. And I'll tell you what all of this podcasting has done for me personally. It's made me very interested in mental, emotional, and yes, even spiritual health. This is why I'm in the process of becoming a licensed therapist. It's why I've been working as a life coach for the past few years. And it's why I keep making episodes for this podcast to rewire my own brain, to reshape my own confirmation biases so that I can truly look for the good, so that I can truly put down the weapons that I use against myself, and so that I can intentionally focus on putting more peace, understanding, acceptance, joy, and playfulness into this world as much as I can. Now, if you find this podcast valuable and you'd like to say thank you by donating a few dollars per month, please sign up to support the podcast on Patreon. You can find details on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you or someone you love is struggling with severe anxiety, fear, grief, shame, chronic anger, depression, or any mental, emotional, or even spiritual challenges, and you'd like some encouragement, support, and some tools that can help, please reach out to me at infantsonthrones at gmail.com. Let's talk. I am here for you, and it won't cost you a thing. And now, how about a blast from the past with one of my favorite infant episodes from days gone by? Here you go. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy anything this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone shall the youth of Zion falter Will the enemy assail it? Shall we shrink or shun the fight? No! <laughs> true, true to the faith that our parents have cherished. True to the truth for which martyrs have perished. To God's command, so Infants on Thrones. 
Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and today we have a long discussion with Mike Tannehill about his views on the recent essay, Race and the Priesthood, that you can find online at LDS.org. Now, this essay was released by the church in early December 2013, and it addresses head-on the criticism that the Mormon church is and was a racist organization. Uh, It presents a position of equality for all God's children and explains that the seemingly racist priesthood exclusion policy of the past was just a product of culture and human bias rooted in the time in which the church was um, restored. It's a pretty good essay, actually, especially for those who want to maintain their belief that God directs this church through imperfect people and must therefore restore truth, line upon line, precept on precept, serving milk before meat, yada, yada, yada. But for me, at least, when I really think about it, there's just no satisfactory reason why God would support a racist man-made policy for so long without stepping in at some point and revealing a non-racist message of... I don't know, love, equality, inclusion, you know, something like that to his would-be prophets. And so, if anything, this essay really only exacerbates my concerns in those areas. That's my critique of the essay, at least. But Mike Tannehill... Now, Mike has a few critiques of his own. Now, I'm assuming that most of you already know who Mike is. Mike has been a frequent guest on Mormon Expression and Mormon Expositor and probably a few other Mormon-themed podcasts for about the past five years or so. We've spoken to him a few times here on Infants on Thrones as well. And Mike is a lightning rod for controversy. I remember the first time that I heard him on Mormon Expression, I was just yelling at my iPod because he was saying the most ridiculous and unsubstantiated thing about how the Book of Mormon would improve life for an oppressed woman in the Middle East. Now, at least that assertion wasn't blatantly misogynistic, but I do have friends who simply refuse to listen to any podcast episode with Mike Tannehill on it because he constantly supports inflammatory positions. Like just this past week, on Martin Luther King Day, Mike posted some anti-MLK message on his Facebook wall about how we should teach our kids to tell their teachers to go to hell if they try to teach that Martin Luther King was a great American. It's all just part of some anti-American, socialist, liberal agenda. And I'm sure this caused the few dozen of you who haven't already unfriended him to finally pull that trigger and distance yourself from Mike once and for all. But here's the thing. When I look more closely at Mike, I don't think he's really racist. Not intentionally, at least. He's simply a devout, stalwart, valiant Mormon who shall not shrink or shun the fight. Mike is true to the faith that his parents have cherished. He's true to the truth for which martyrs have perished. To God's command, soul, heart, and hand, faithful and true, Mike will ever stand. Mike is exactly what the church machine wanted me to grow up to be. I mean, take a look at 1 Nephi chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. This is Lehi's lament to his two oldest rebellious sons. be like unto this river, continually running into the fountain of all righteousness. Now this is Mike's validation. It's his marching orders, if you will, for his constant barrage of in-your-face Facebook posts. Oh, that thou mightest be like unto this valley, firm and steadfast and immovable in keeping the commandments of the Lord. 
And this is why Mike can sit on podcast after podcast, being ripped to shreds from every direction, but come out of it chuckling his Mike chuckle, <laughs> unmoved and completely unfazed. So while the enemy assaileth, who is the enemy here? For Mike, it's liberal ideology. Liberalism is Satan's most devious and effective tool. It erodes stalwart resolution. You want proof? Just listen to this podcast and others like it. Listen to all of the once valiant, now liberal-leaning members who've lost their way. Liberalism is what allows us to become tolerant of sin. It's the fertilizer in which sin blossoms and grows. Liberalism is what allows the satanic camel to stick its nose into your little tent to gain a small respite from the raging storm. Now, you've all heard this Sunday school story, right? You let the camel stick in its nose, and then it wants to bring in its eyes, and then its ears, and then its whole head in, and then its neck, and finally one foot, and then another, until it's completely in your little tent, and you've been completely pushed out, sitting helplessly, unprotected, in the relentless desert storm. Why? All because you showed weakness. You took pity on what you thought was a poor camel stuck in a storm, but what do you have to show for it now? Yeah, I know this isn't exactly if your brother asks you for a cloak, give him your coat also, New Testament feel-good Jesus mumbo-jumbo stuff. But here's the deal. Those damn satanic Campbells are just out to exploit your kind, liberal, bleeding heart. So you can just take that kind, liberal, bleeding heart and shove it. Because that's not real love. Real love is obedience to God's commandments. And God has said to follow the prophet. And the prophets have said some pretty strong things about who gets to have the priesthood and why. So don't start thinking that you can have better answers than what the Lord has already given us through their prophets, because then you're just being liberal and tolerant, and you're just letting the camel win. Okay, so you get it? So imagine Mike's grave concern when he reads this essay, Race on the Priesthood, on LDS.org, and saw liberal ideology that's endorsed by the First Presidency themselves. There's this whole white privilege thing in here. It's about equality, and it goes against what it said. It says that doctrines of the past are just theories. Now, look, it's the enemy, and it's assailing it. Shall he shrink or shun the fight? Nope. So fight for the right, Mike. And that's what he did. He made phone calls to his bishop and his state president, to his area 70. He made phone calls to the very committee that drafted this official church essay. And he's writing a letter right now directly to the first presidency themselves to show them the error of their ways. So don't be confused as you listen to this episode. This isn't really about racism or priesthood or the Abrahamic covenant. It's about what it looks like to be a product of the Mormon belief machine. It's what it looks like when you take all this stuff really, truly, literally. And it's what it looks like when you run into contradictions and how even the most faithful and resolute member of the church has to pick some things and ignore others and become, to at least some degree, a cafeteria Mormon if they want to survive. And Mike is the perfect, extreme, bombastic example of this. He doesn't try to be or want to be or even admit being a racist. He just unintentionally is one because he has to be, because he's true to the faith. 
So sit back and enjoy this highly entertaining conversation between myself, Tom Perry. How do you not have respect for the guy making calls saying this is a bunch of garbage? Dude, I don't I don't know. I love it. Matt Long. He's the only one that has the balls to say Come on now, let's embrace the doctrine. Randy Snyder. You know who yeah. else was like that? Hitler. <laughs> he really believed in his principles. Bob Caswell. Can we splice in like some sort of disclaimer? By the way, whenever Negro is said, it's just Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Tannehill. It wasn't just the Negro people that had a priesthood band. The unintentional racist. What the fuck is Mike Tannehill doing on? Potty mouth. What's- Where's a a John show? (laughs) We don't add silly sound effects to cover up our fucks, you fucking fuck. (laughs) You're going to drive away all the members that want to hear this. No members want to listen to this. So Mike's able to jump on right now because his wife is at Relief Society, and he's able to do this under the radar. Because she's really... So don't tell her. So don't tell. (laughs) She doesn't listen to the podcast? I get my patriarchy when she's gone. Yeah. So, so Randy, just just say fuck a lot so that Mike's wife won't listen. He already did. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, uh, yeah, so so Mike's got three issues with the... uh, uh, recent article on race or, or the new Ra- position in the church priesthood. on race in the priesthood. So, hey, Mike. Yes. Tell us what's going on with this whole uh, race and priesthood thing. Okay. The church put out an essay the first Friday in December, and it's entitled Race in the Priesthood. And basically, it goes through, and at first blush, my just first reading it without examining anything deeply. It says that the church only had the position of withholding the priesthood from the Negro people because of uh, they were bigoted racists and couldn't call down a revelation from heaven to change it until President Kimball was able to get a revelation. And that, to me, was just horrible. And so I just looked at it a little closer, and I've got three real issues with it. Uh, do you want, want me to go through them? Yeah, yeah. If they're, short, if, they're, if they're short and concise, you bet. Okay, the first one is that they use the phrase white privilege to uh, to say that the reason for the ban was because, you know, racism, America is a racist country, blah, blah, blah. White privilege comes from what's known as critical race theory. Critical race theory comes up out of the civil rights movement, and those who didn't think the civil rights movement went far enough really wanted to ingrain the theory that white people are racist and, and all this into the American legal system. And so that you see the phrase white privilege popping up around to say that America's always been racist and our laws have always held black people down. This is a quote from Emory Law Professor Dorothy Brown. She says, um, by using things like white privilege and critical race theory, they seek to highlight the ways in which the law is not neutral and objective but designed to support white supremacy and subordination of people of color in America. And this this whole theory that's, you know, it's, it's coming up through the colleges and through the uh, police systems across America that we're racist and we should all be ashamed of ourselves for our heritage and do what we can to help black people. And to, for that to be in a church publication, the phrase white privilege is just outrageous. It's, it's a political liberal terminology if you look at the ones that built up critical race theory, they're radicals, and for them to use that in church publication says something about the authors. Now, the, the, the First Presidency did not write the essay. They had a committee do it. 
and they just kind of signed off on these essays. And I don't think they understood that that was in there. But once you see that it's in there, it, it peppers the entire essay. So why does it bother you that white privilege is in there, that it's a political word? It's, it's a totally political word. It's a radical thing, and it has no business in a church publication. So if you were to, uh, let's say they said, okay, uh, Brother Tannehill, why don't you rewrite it for us? How, how would you frame it? What would be your solution to that? Uh, that's my point number three. Okay. Um, let me, point Wait. number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that at, towards the end of the essay, they're dismissive. They, they say they disavow all theories. Uh, how do they phrase it? Regarding all the different things about black people that came up in the Mormon church until the band came along. The problem is they mention some things that aren't theories. They're actually doctrines. Like they mention that the darkening of skin color is a theory. But... How many how many verses in Scripture can you name, especially in the Book of Mormon, that spells out it, it's not a theory, God did that? Right, right. There's, there's Moses 7.22, Abraham 1.27, 2 Nephi 5.21, 3 Nephi 2.15, Alma 3, 6 through 9. Uh, you know, and then they talk about uh, the theory that they couldn't marry into the, the Negro race, that members of the church shouldn't marry. Now, that had to do, it, it, it was a general ban in the church members to not marry outside the priesthood, Negro or otherwise. But if the Negroes didn't have the priesthood, that's what the ban was there for. Well, you're supposed but to that, marry someone who has the priesthood. Okay, but I mean, I think they're two separate issues, aren't they? I mean, yeah, they were, they were encouraged to marry within the priesthood or whatever. But I think there was this emphasis on the racism thing, I think. That's no, the, was, that's the interpretation I get. No, that ties into Moses 8 that says the reason the flood came about is because all the church members married outside the church and everyone became wicked. No, there were they, church leaders that made specific references to race. They did. So, they did. So, it was, so it wasn't necessarily about, well, make sure that he's a priesthood holder. Well, yeah, I think I think you're using that as kind of a straw man. There, you're saying, well, if not, well, if none of the Negroes could hold the priesthood, then you don't marry any Negroes, correct? Until well, the ban was lifted, and then they don't care anymore. So but, you're saying they use that as like a cover, like they're saying well, it's just it's just to say these things are theories and disavow the theories, and then name off things that are canonized scripture. You can't do that. Well, you can't, what disavow canon? And the third one is, as Tom touched on, is that there, are, there is doctrine behind uh, priesthood bans. It wasn't just the Negro people that had a priesthood ban. You remember the Levites could only officiate in certain things. There were very few actual Melchizedek priesthood holders. Okay. You know, God comes down from the mountain and, and wipes out the priesthood from among the general Israelite population. So what does uh, that have to do with what? Okay, so there was. Okay, we can can we go ahead and say oh, okay, fine. What does that have to do with the racism ban, though? That, if, that if, I don't he can, if he could, if he can limit it to just the Levites, he can limit it to just the the non darkies. So it, it has to do with okay. It has to do with family oh, lines. It's more complex. Okay. Okay. You, you notice? You remember the uh, Jacob's allegory of the olive trees, where he's quoting an older uh, Book of Mormon prophet that we don't have. Uh, I think it's Zezrum. Um, no, Zezrum was a lawyer. Zenith and Zenith had the allegory of the olive trees. What do the trees in the garden represent? Uh, the house of Israel. Okay, one is the house of Israel, one is the, and, and that's the, other the one the they're tending to, and, they're have, and the others are the Gentiles yeah. and the other, other family trees. And, and the wickedness. And, and some graft, of them are tended to. Grafting. Yeah, there's grafting. There's grafting. Okay, and so 
the grafting represents when they bring in the Gentiles into the priesthood line, which doesn't happen. Remember, Christ wouldn't teach Gentiles during his lifetime. It was only after he died, he sent a revelation to Peter, okay, now you can bring the Gentiles in. It's just families come into the priesthood at different times, and that God distributes his authority as he sees fit. If he didn't so do it to the Negroes, so 78, then that's his option. So, that's, did you, so, did you just, so God sees fit, then, right? I mean, well, I think that, I mean, remember, this is, I mean, the, the way that we've talked about the Book of Mormon before as being an example of pseudepigrapha, where Joseph Smith is assuming the voice of ancient prophets, and in this case, it's an ancient prophet who never actually existed. And so we've got a brand new <laughs> allegory that's, that's conveniently explaining how uh, a branch of Gentiles like Joseph Smith and the early saints, could be grafted into the pure and original priesthood that came from Israel. So it's this really convenient pseudepigraphical explanation that justifies the, this, this whole Mormon movement. Well, like Gentiles being brought in is a New Testament thing. It's not a Joseph Smith thing. Well, okay, I'm not saying he came up with the idea, but he's the one that created the Zenus character and gave it the, that, that weight in the Book of Mormon. That's my assertion. I think the funniest thing about this is that uh, the mortal Jesus was a racist, but the resurrected Jesus was not. So... (laughs) You got got to replace the word racism with families. (laughs) All right. I'm calling a a spade a spade, man. Right. Funny. The the thing that (laughs) interests me the most about what's going on... Come on, guys. The The thing that interests me the most about this is the way that Mike is taking on the church. You know that Mike, you've been called an apostate by you. Well, not but <laughs> no, I've been doing people. that for a long time. But I mean the 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 who was it? The the church committee. So so talk about who you've talked to, who you've raised these issues with, and uh, what those conversations have been like. All right, the, the thing was popping up on my screen for over the weekend, and I, I just ignored it. And then I'm like, okay, I'll read this thing. And so the night I read it, I went to my bishop and said, "You got to read this. This is absolute garbage." And they, they can't have this up on the LDS website. This is wrong. This is faith-destroying. It's heresy. And so I got them to read it, and I talked to them on the following Sunday, and they agreed with me, yeah, it's crap. The bis- your so, bishop agreed that it was crap? Yeah, he's like, oh, what a bunch of garbage. All, 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 he agreed with all three of your points about it? He, uh, to my memory, yeah, he did. Okay. So I, uh, I couldn't get a hold of my stake because things were – it was over the holidays, really. But I did, as soon as the holidays were over, like the uh, first week of January, I called my 70. And I called him and said, can you read this and, and look at these things? He said, sure. He called, my 70 called me back that night. And we went over him. He sees wiggle room with the, with the thing where it says uh, theories. And I'm like, they can't play with speech like that. He's <laughs> a 70, Mike. But he, he, he saw my points. But now he, he made wiggle room, though. He, he essentially said, oh, come on, Mike. Well, he said, this is from the brethren. You know, it, it, yeah. The brethren signed off on it. It signed off on was, yeah. was at it. Well, because, I mean, he, I, I guess that they would be expecting that you would sustain the brethren. And here you're, you're challenging them and you're saying that this is heresy that they came up with and put on their LDS.org website. But the brethren did not write this. They had a committee write it. And but who they knows? approved it, though. Did they write I mean, anything, Mike? Mike, when was the last time the brethren read, wrote anything? Like Since, like, Joseph Fielding Smith. It's been by committee forever. They write their toxic conference. Really? Oh, I don't think no. so. Uh, they're, and they're, they're com- heavily... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Unless um, you're Packer. Redacted. Redacted. Unless you're Packer. Committee. I'll say what I want if you're Packer. 
but uh, I, I, uh, I also I, I went through. I called up. Uh, I just Googled LDS.org and, and looked for Intellectual Reserve. I think is what they're called. Right. And uh, I called their headquarters and talked to a couple people there. He says we're getting flooded with calls over the same essay. He says I don't like it either. Is what the guy told me. And and so I called. Uh, I, I I found out through them that I, it's the church history department had to do with this because it's a church history project. They're releasing a whole bunch of essays over these topics. And what they've done is they just sent out to a bunch of intellectuals to pool together and write these essays. Were any of the intellectuals also feminists and or homosexuals? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I, I think the, the, the most important question here is, Mike, are you willing, if uh, the people that agree with you see fit to make you their leader, to break off and to start your own fundamentalist group. I can't even organize my own podcast. You think I'm going to do a branch off of the church? I don't know. I think through the internet, you wield a lot of power. You got a lot of clout. I just love that you can joke about it, Mike. That that makes my day that you're not like, you know, frustrated or, or really nervous or, or because most people would be not in a position to talk about stuff like this so openly. And I really admire that about you because this is, this is serious business. And, and my theory here is that everyone's playing each other because it seems like every time you've told me how somebody feels about it, they're giving you like the, the diplomatic answer of like, Oh yeah, I agree with you, but my hands are tied. And then you call somebody up. Oh yeah, I agree with you, but my hands are tied. And like, I, I think it's just that most people have a certain sense of apathy when it comes to the church having to comply with modern standards of, of, um, civic sort of things um and they uh, just what, <laughs> do, do this over and over again and you're the only one who's like hang on guys back the truck up what but, what are we doing you know what mike it's time up. it's time for you to pull out your javelin and make things oh, right <laughs> so, but but mike didn't didn't you get into kind of a yelling match with one of these guys from uh one of these intellectuals yeah i, I um two of the higher-ups at church history department i one guy was Tom, and I can't. I think the other guy was Craig or something. I can't remember exactly. But uh, I, they're like, "Well, you got to support the brethren. You can't just." And I'm like, "Wait a minute! White privilege is a political term. You can't use that in church publication." And he tried to tell me it's not a political term. But if you a simple Google will tell you who wrote critical race theory, where it came from, the radical organizations they spin off of. You know, white privilege is just another way of saying critical race theory. And he, he's trying to tell me it's not a political term. And I'm like, also, what am I supposed to do? Rip Alma chapter 3 out of my scriptures? It, 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 or Alma chapter 3 directly defies your essay. And he and agreed with you. Is, is that right? He yeah. agreed with you. He did. He said, you go ahead and rip that out. Just He was laughing as he said it. But it was heated at that point, and he's and I'm, we're just screaming at each other over the phone. In, incidentally, did anyone else grow up in the Mormon Church with um, seminary teachers recommending that you staple Songs of Solomon shut in the Bible because it's it's useless and it's kind of apocryphal my, and it's not? Mission president said, "Just rip it out." Yeah. See, so yeah. it's not like this is unprecedented. It's just it's the Book of Mormon <laughs> instead of the Bible. <laughs> But okay, Mike, Mike, I gotta ask you, didn't so it sounds to me like the conversation turned from from this race issue into criticizing the brethren issue because it sounds like every time you'd run into somebody, they said, You gotta you gotta obey the brethren. You That's gotta exactly obey exactly right. The the so, two up in the so, opposite history department were like that. They're like, You can't defy the brethren. So the brethren Mike, right. it says so in Mike, DHC, whether it come from my mouth or from my servants, it is the same. 
So, Mike, I guess the real question is where where do you get the size of balls to go and call all these people and essentially criticize the brethren? I mean, you go to your 70. I mean, you're doing pretty profound things as far as like a, an average believing Mormon goes. I mean, I don't I don't see a lot of Mormons that would that would have the size of balls that you have to go and <laughs> say, well, I'm going to make I, some I, phone calls and, and really try to set the record straight here. I snuck into my wife's, you know, at night while she was still sleeping and took him out of her purse. And then I went and hunted down some phone calls. And I, I just got some phone numbers. I know some people online got me actually one of the author's names and phone numbers. I was wait. actually able to talk to one of the committee members that wrote it. Wait, wait wow. you're, you're saying that you snuck those balls out of your wife's purse? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Have you returned them to her? I, I guess I guess she's she's wearing them right now. If she's, you, you, uh, check them in and out. Check them in she, and out. She's out at Relief Society, and that's why you're... It's like a library card and i just yeah. so I, but here's oh, what shit. i love about this here's what i love about this mike is me in 2007 when prop 8 uh and prop 102 in arizona came out when i said the brethren are wrong yeah. this is wrong yeah. i yeah, can't see i've got scripture like at my position <laughs> Right, sorry. Your fake scripture isn't any isn't any more authoritative than my fake scripture. Yeah. <laughs> but you're doing the same thing. You have the same reaction. What you're saying is your personal uh, stance on morality or doctrine is different than the brethren, so you're going to go with your own. So good for you, well, Mike. But Mike's not saying it's his personal. He's saying that this is church doctrine. This is what's being swept away. Well, the, the, the one guy, the, I talked to the author, and I mentioned the white privilege thing. He knew exactly what I was talking about. And he said, well, what do you mean? It's not, it's not just a theory. White privilege is real. And you're, you're going, what the hell are you talking about? This is a radical liberal ideology theory that's, that's being pushed, and you're trying to use it to back up your stance on this church history essay? So Mike, you can't say those things. So after you talked with these guys at the history department, then you, you talked with your stake president, right? Uh, I talked to one of his counselors because he was out of town. Okay. And how did that he, go? He said, well, I didn't get that when I read it. And I said, well, go back and look for these things. And I, I haven't talked to him about it since then, but I, he, he knows what I'm doing. And I, I got two-thirds of my letter to the presidency written. I, it's a rough draft. I got to edit it and write the last part. And then uh, I'm hoping what I want to do is go to my bishop and my stake and my 70 and have them just say, please look at what he's saying. You know, not that we agree with him, but just please review these things so that when it appears before the 12, it's not just some yucko in the stick sending him a letter. Mike, I have a question. If um, if they don't change their stance on this, would you leave the church? No, I'll just, I just it won't sustain the essay. Well, you know, it's the essay that's wrong, and I don't, I don't know which so of the 12 proves it. You'll become a cafeteria Mormon. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, so Mike, uh, you know, let's see, how old are you now? 42. 42. So in 30 years, when you're 72, and the church accepts gay marriage, maybe not in the temple, but just accepts gay marriage. Uh, I mean, Mike, you should have seen the writing on the wall. I mean, the church has loosened its stance on uh, birth control, on women's rights, uh, on, you know, blacks in the priesthood. Uh, the church changes with social, you know, outside social pressures. It's, it's just the way it's been. You know, polygamy. They should. I have a good polygamy. authority that that the twelve have pounded the pulpit that gay marriage is never going to be accepted. Yeah, and they'll all, be all dead, they'll be dead until they years. die. All of them will be dead in thirty years, Mike, and you'll be, be seventy-two. Accepting it. 
Holland will be dead in less well, in like ten years. But but I mean, I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But but you you certainly had uh, apostles pounding the pulpit about race and the priesthood and birth control. It wasn't that long ago that that apostles and oral sex is no longer taboo in the Mormon. Church. I got a copy of that Kimball letter. I got it on my computer. Yeah, but they don't touch it now. So, Mike, is this the first time for you, or what's different? Because like, Rand, Randy just listed, like, literally five examples that, for me, are, like, practically the same thing. But for you, this is the one that's setting you off, but all the other ones are okay? I, I, I sustain the brother on their stance on gay marriage. Well, I think the difference is, is this one's what happening. What about on oral sex? This, this one's <laughs> happening on Mike's clock. It's like when he's in the prime of his life, and he's been used to it for 42 years, and now it's like, what the fuck just happened? Whereas in the past... Like, you just read about all the stuff about oral sex and birth control. That was before your time, and then you just sort of, you know, buy off, sign off on it because it's not your problem. It's that you, you didn't have to deal with it front and center like this one. Is that what it is? I I just, this one's so obviously in your face wrong that, you know, what else can you do? Because you're so used to it the, the, the right way. But the other ones, you were never used to it the right way. It was just history books. So what do you think is going on, Mike? I mean, do you think do you think the church is, or, or or this committee is trying to popularize the church or liberalize or make it more progressive? I mean, what's what's happening here? Is there something? It, it, that it's you're hard to say. To? I don't know what the approval process was. I don't know how much of this they read, or you know, did they all sit in a circle and read it as the twelve and read this essay and say, okay, cool, we'll all sign off on this, or was it just, you know? One of the guys at the end of the night on his way out the door, hey, can you sign off on the essays the history department put out? Oh, sure. You know, well, from, go what, eat. from what I understand is if they give approval, it doesn't matter whether it's short term or if they're just like, oh, you need a signature, I'll sign it. The Lord is inspiring them. Wouldn't the Lord <laughs> No, actually... it doesn't work that way. They, they, the 12 don't stand around in a deluge of revelation all day long. No but, if they're, no, but if they're if they're approving something that's important, that has their stamp of approval, you, you think the Lord's going to be like, nah, I'll just let that one slide. I won't intervene there. They'll strike them dead. But isn't 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 this race in the priesthood clarification on LDS.org part part of a larger series of the the church addressing uh, problematic issues? I mean, isn't there one yes. on polygamy and there's one they're they're adding other ones? So I mean, first what vision. is this? Yeah, so yeah, they did the multiple versions of the first vision. So what what's happening? Are they just trying to placate the masses? I, I, how, how do you see this this movement in general, Mike? Well, they've been doing a lot of stuff with the history department. They're putting out like everything Joseph Smith ever wrote, and and big deluxe format, and you know, there's all this history stuff coming out because they got like an army down there digging through the archives, finding fascinating things. Just, it turns out Google isn't going away, <laughs> and people, I, I really, I'm, and I, I don't mean to be you know snide Lib. about it. It's people are finding it, and and the kids in particular, youth. You know, I call it the generation under ours, but it's not my kids. It's kind of the, the the space between uh, me and my kids. Those those guys who are now kind of going on missions are finding this stuff, and it's destroying them. The number of kids that are leaving uh, the church that from my home ward, I mean, are almost everyone but one of a certain generation have, and it's because of this. And so I think it's really more about being pragmatic. And they're and also losing converts with what, this. What, what makes me want to cry? So when somebody, you know, when somebody gets the missionaries at the door, they teach them the first discussion, then they go online and Google, and they're done. <laughs> right. 
What made me want to cry is one of those kids looking up race in the priesthood and saying, oh, they can never call down a revelation because they were all racist bigots, not until Kimball. Oh, what kind of church is this? Because that's what you're, it's But saying. you're right, Mike. You are 100% right. And that's what I said when I read it. I, I had a, a friend of mine who's a former bishop who is a member of the high council came to me and said, you know, some, you know about this stuff seems like more than I do. Doesn't this say that they're all just racist bigots and they didn't have revelation then? I said, that's how I wrote it. So I'm interested that a former bishop and current high council member read it the same way. So you're yeah, absolutely right, Mike. Now, I know for a fact McKay could receive revelation. How many, how many testimonies did his secretary have where he'd come back to the temple about praying about a new apostle, and his, his physical, like Moses, was a testimony? You know, McKay could get an answer from the Lord when he wanted one. And well, he how, prayed how over know? this very issue multiple times. How do you know? You're giving an example that's unfalsifiable. He picked the right guy. How do we fucking know that? <laughs> You're saying that's well, proof that he no, gets revelation. People that worked with him is that he, his face glowed like Moses when he got back from the temple for praying about an apostle to call. Testimonials yeah, so and anecdotal evidence are a recipe for promoting bullshit. Well, all I'm saying is that to say that he, he, the actual essay says he got no answer when he prayed about it. But, but Hubie uh, Brown did, and it turns out Hubie Brown was right. No, Hugh Brown is a but so but so Mike, you think that McKay and others did get the answer, and the answer was not now. God was saying it's we're not it's not time yet. Just be patient. Right. And the number, I mean, McKay and uh, you know, so your so your Kimball? assertion, Mike, right, is that the, yeah. the ban on the priesthood wasn't about uh, racism as part of the culture that these men were living in, that it was really God who was, who was holding it for his own wisdom. That's why I say waiting. you got to replace the word race with family, and it makes perfect sense and lines up with the Abrahamic covenant and all these other things. What about the Brazilians? What about yeah. in, Well, it wasn't in like, like the Fijians, but anyway. But, no, the Brazilians were very complex. No, the Brazilians, it was initially, initially Brazilians were out, but then it turned out that, well, we've already kind of started down this road, and so we're going to come up with this arbitrary 116th uh, on your father's side because it was, the, the count was already out of the bag. The toothpaste was out. So, I mean, they had that principle. They, had that, they applied that at one point and then said, meh, fuck the napkin. <laughs> the napkin? <laughs> come on, Mike. <laughs> it's a <laughs> spinal tap reference. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but I know there's a big issue with the Cubans as well. I know there's a, a letter sent to the presidency about the Cubans, and there was a big to do back in the day when they wanted to take the gospel into Cuba. So, so Mike, why why did why was God withholding it from the families? And, and family is better than race. Well, what what is the blessing of the Abraham covenant to a married couple? Tell just to, I don't don't play that game. Just tell us. <laughs> I, I, it, this applies because the blessing is that your children will always either hold the priesthood or have it made available to them. The opposite of that, which is the curse, is that you're cut off. They refer to them in the scriptures as the people of the half-empty baskets because they're not going to be able to pick any fruit from the tree. You see what I'm saying? There's no blessings of the gospel in their family. So the, wow. is, is the atonement of Christ then dead for for those people because they didn't have. Uh... No, the, the, see, the, the priesthood can actually become a curse if you have the priesthood and then you don't live up to the responsibilities. All the blessings of the priesthood are reversed. Also, oh, the dark-skinned so, people weren't ready to live up to it yet. 
the culture they lived in would not sustain a righteous person. Just like in the days of Noah, God had to wipe them out. They're in America. Black people were in America. In the but Africa, I don't really want Africa to go down this path. Day is, is full of warlords. <laughs> the church, the church wait, wasn't wait, wait. even Can in ask? fucking Africa. It was in America. This okay. goes back to the days of Noah. Yeah. That, that doesn't even make Can sense. No. Even <laughs> All right, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> to be doctrinal, don't you have to – so so is your premise that you attribute the, the curse to Ham? Is that is that your well, – you got your scriptures handy? This is a Mormon podcast, right? You should all have your scriptures next to your microphones. Mm-hmm. I usually have it on my iPad. No, this is good. I like this. I want to do this. Well, Moses 7.22. Are we talking about Egyptus and Egyptus? No. This is goes back to... Uh, well, yeah, it actually ties into that. And Enoch yes. also beheld the residue of the people which were the sons of Adam, and they were a mixture of the, all the seed of Adam, save it were the seed of Cain. For the seed of Cain were black and had not place among them. All right? And Noah's son married one of the daughters of Cain, which brought the skin through. Who was Egyptus. But the curse came because Ham tried to steal the priesthood from his father. He stole, he he stole garment patterns. No, he didn't have sex with them. <laughs> he, he, he stole the garment and tried to make copies of it, and then he gave a false version of the priesthood to his family, which leads to Abraham. Wait, wait, in, wait, in wait, the, wait, wait, wait. The book of Abraham talks about the markings on the garments and the... Ham tried to copy no. the, the Masonic markings from the garments. Nope. But he did give a false version of the priesthood to his children, wait, which wait, is wait, in wait, Abraham what's, 127. What's the source of this, the whole garment thing? Uh, apocryphal scripture. Okay. Isn't, isn't false priesthood? <laughs> <laughs> Nibley, Nibley quotes it in Temple and Cosmos. Uh-huh. He quotes it the whole thing. Yeah, okay. okay. I, I, got, I got a really important Jeez. question, Mike. Okay. What, changed, what changed in Africa from the time of McKay in the 60s to 1978 that made them ready? Because the civil rights movement had happened, and, and they were all fully accepted as... The, you mean the civil rights movement that the Brethren fought tooth and nail against, saying it was, was a communist a tool, plot? It was a tool of the uh, communists. Yes, it was a communist plot to overthrow... I, I remember hearing about that. <laughs> yeah, wh- What? <laughs> Have you heard no, of no, F. Benson, Harold B. Lee, and... Uh, <laughs> Benson. Benson. Benson <laughs> Lee, and there was someone else. Uh, yeah, Joseph Fielding Smith, Harold B. Lee, and Joseph Fielding Smith, the two and, that came after and, David O. McKay. And Bruce R. McConkie. Yeah. All right. But, yeah, but wait, it was actually, wasn't it that Stanford refused to play BYU in football? And that's yeah, what ultimately. I think that had more to do with it than Abraham McCovenant. But the, the, the funny thing is, is that. Mormons like Mike can now rewrite history and say the civil rights movement was a good thing when all of their heroes fought against it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Mike's right. Mike is right. About? About what this says about the church generally, that revelation just, there is no revelation, that all these guys that came before were so wrong on such a fundamental point that you should ignore everything else they said, just like Adam God, just like everything else they've ever said. Yeah, okay. All right. That's the message it sends to members, and that's what Mike's fighting against, I think. And so good for him. So is this Mike Mike to be doing it. Hey, Mike, is this your last appearance on Infants? I, I'm happy to show up whenever you want me. Oh, oh. So I have a question for you, Mike. Um, how how did it work? Or how does it work um, if if blacks and whites are segregated because God wanted it that way? 
how how does he define blacks and whites? Like, do you have a formula? Is there an accurate like, you know, is it one sixteenth? Is it mother side, father side? Where, where's the magic thing? Where is it documented? Because it, we're talking it really, about it as if like there's two races in the world, and really like everyone loves to fuck, and everyone's just brown here. So yeah, what, what are about we doing? the what about the Romanian it, and Bulgarian gypsies? Where do they fall see, down? Now right. this this is the uh, this is where you actually apply McConkie's quote that it doesn't matter anymore properly. Is that since that time there's no priesthood restriction and you, you can marry however you want to marry. It doesn't matter. But it did matter Just, back then. That it did like matter a, then because they did not have the priesthood, and you have to have like the priesthood a Jedi in your mind family. Trick. That's a Jedi mind trick. There's nothing to see here. Everything's fine, no, I and nothing matters. I, well, they're misquoting McConkie in the in the essay. They 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 stumble and stupidly use his his phrase. They don't quote him. They don't use his name, but they're saying the same thing. But they're twisting it in a way that's improper. But was, was that ever a formula? Was there ever a magic formula? Because nobody in their right mind believes that there are pure white and pure black people. And if there are, it's like an anomaly. It's a minority. Like there's always some white and some black in everyone. So like, where where does that leave everyone? Is there? How do you how do you document this for all those? cases where it's mixed when this was know. actually happening i have no idea okay it'll so, all, it'll all it'll all make sense in the in the millennium it's just like <laughs> temple work it's like it doesn't make any sense but it will someday okay like, well even ask, those that never ask. had the priesthood they're, they're judged according to what they did with the light of christ that was in them and Can, so let me ask this if if it's about priesthood and it's always about priesthood then why were black females not allowed to participate in the temple uh, I remember that. That's a that, great that was the one that she actually crossed the plains from Nauvoo and came to Salt Lake and said, No, 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 not just her. I'm saying black women were not allowed to participate in the temple. That was that happened in conjunction with the priesthood. And they keep talking about a priesthood band. And, and that suggests, though, that it was more than that. It was a racist doctrine. It was a racist practice, rather. So why why do we keep focusing on the priesthood? If that's true, how do we reconcile? Well, because there are ordinances of the priesthood. Well, they, I guess they could be baptized, but they couldn't be exalted. That and and te- when you go through the temple and you go through the endowment session, you're talking about doing work to make you exalted, and so they were cut off from that. So let me con- let me continue this out. You'd agree with me doctrinally. Those that are baptized but are not sealed are uh, do have a certain role. In heaven. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Right. Mormon theology really has no hell. We have outer darkness and three heavens. No, no, no. But if you're, if you're baptized and if you're actually valiant and you're, and you're saved to the point where you, you are baptized but not, um, exactly. not sealed, you, you have a certain role to those who are sealed. That's true, isn't it, Mike? You are. Yeah, that's, is that in D&C 76? 132. Your servants unto what? the Most High? Is that what is that what these prof these these men were trying to create then? Well, anybody that is not exalted becomes a servant. I mean, ouch! Damn. So this is this this now becomes even more racist than I originally thought. It doesn't just happen to to the Negro people. It happens to everyone. If you're not exalted, you become a servant. It, but they don't, don't even have an opportunity. It's if you don't enter into the new and everlasting covenant. Correct. Ouch. Section so 132. What about the pre-existence? Like, are those that are 116th black, is it directly proportional? <laughs> like, like, were you 116th less valiant in the pre- Like, is it a one-to-one ratio? No, or- well, that, that, now that is actually, when they refer to that as a theory in the essay, they're correct. Because you can only tie that to two scriptures. 
And one is in Abraham when he talks about the, uh, uh, what's the way, way he phrases it, to noble and great ones. So sure. you know if there are noble and great ones, there were less noble and great ones. That makes sense. Then you tie that into DNC, I want to say it's in 88, where it talks about like clings to like, and, and he goes in through like five verses about how equal things cling together and stay together and everything's given a law. So right. you, can say, you can assume that groups of people clung together, and that's how family groups came to earth. Yeah. Whatever group you most associated with and were most like stayed together. And so they're making an assumption based on those scriptures that if they were cut off from the priesthood, that must be how they all were in the preexistence. And so that's not racist. It's a theory. I mean, that applies to, that's not just the Negroes. That's all people. That's all okay. family lines. You can't just say it's just them. So is there any other, would, I mean, are other, give me some more examples of other races that are in this same category. Because you keep trying to generalize it away as if, like, you would say well, family instead. Anything like, you can say about Negroes in 1978, you can say about Gentiles at the time of Peter when he received his revelation. Because all the Gentiles from Noah to Peter were cut off. Well, that's not, but that's not true because they're, they're this hybrid. It's not like, no, 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 you can't teach them. If, if that was the case, then your analogy would, would make sense. But this is this hybrid of, yes, you can baptize them. Yes, they can be in the church. But what they can't have is this piece, which grants some sort of right. know, part of our hierarchy, part of, our, part of the authority to make them really equal with everyone else. And that's what makes it racist, Mike. It's that your, your analogy is just false. Right, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's like you can get partway there. It's like, you know, there was a huge portion of the church's history where they could participate, but only in certain specific ways. And it's the, the old school model of the Gentiles was all or nothing, right? It's like, don't even talk to them, don't even teach them. So what, what, what is this middle ground that is racism that isn't the Gentile model? Well, I know well, in America I, they could get baptized, but in in Africa they wouldn't even send people to go baptize them, would they? Am I wrong in that, or am I correct in my, how I'm remembering that? Well, because I, they, I, I want to go back to, to what you said, though, about the time of the Gentiles and with Peter, because even at that time, uh, only what a, a certain tribe of Israel had the priesthood? The priesthood wasn't available to every Jew. The, high, the higher priesthood, yeah. The, I mean, the lesser priesthood was among the Levites, and there were a few high priests, but, yeah, the, in general, they couldn't... So you weren't even know. talking about a priesthood ban there? Well, a partial, it was a partial priesthood ban. They were cut off from the higher priesthood. Well, they were just cut off from everything. Uh, no, DNC 84 gets into it. Or, Whatever. The, the, the more the, I can tell you, my dad. My dad served his mission in Mexico City uh, from 1960 to 1962, and um, he did have a directive that uh, if if he came across a black person, that uh, he just don't even bother teaching them. And it wasn't because there was an all or nothing; it was that they just didn't want to have to deal with finding out how much black was in that person. <laughs> and uh, I got to tell you, my dad. My dad did not have a racist bone in his body, and he hated this doctrine all the way up until 1978 when he celebrated. Yeah. yeah it was a huge relief when it went through. Everybody was very excited. Yeah, because they were finally like, oh, my God isn't more racist than me. 
finally. <laughs> but even even keeping to Mike's assumption that racism matters and it's bigger and it's not racism and it's families and, and we convolute the definition and expand it and make it all lovely, white, and delightsome, um, what... <laughs> What? Why? Why does it matter? Maybe we don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I just want to know from Mike's perspective: Why does God care about? Like, why is that part of the plan that He has all these different groups of people that are different colors and have different blood, and then therefore they have different critical paths to get back to heaven? And actually, now in the twenty and twenty-first century, it doesn't matter anymore, but it did really in the past. And like. Why does that have, what does that have to do with anything? Why is that part of the plan of salvation? Like the rest of it, I get the the Mormon plan of salvation. It, you know, logistically, I can see how it could make sense to some people. But this whole like different races at different points of time, like what is God thinking? What what's the deal? Well, way back when the world was a lot smaller place, and you're dealing with family groups and tribes, and you're trying to preserve one to be Why? holy and sanctified. Why? Who cares? But it's the plan what, of salvation. But what's these to black, preserve? These, these black people were integrated into Western culture long before 1978. Right. right. Why did it take until 1978 from to say now they're ready? Well, you get into like a... how long, Mike? How long do you think the sanctity of these family groups was preserved before God threw in the towel and he's like, "Fuck it, this, they're all intermingling." I don't well, you know see it all do. in the Old Testament. <laughs> you see in the Old Testament where they're, they're, they they go wicked and he drives them off and the ten tribes it, are it's scattered. Less less than one generation, man. It's like. If that was his plan, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he have a plan that you needed sanctified, pure family groups to link back in a chain, but separate from each other, but they all are on the earth? Like, what, what is that? Like, what, why, what does that have to do with anything? What, what's, how does that factor into the plan of salvation on a personal level for you and me and for individuals going back to heaven? Why does that matter? Well, oh, I, I can tell you that... If your ancestors were members of the church, they have rights to call on in the Abraham covenant for you to be blessed and put in positions of authority to challenge you and make you to grow. And I mean, just look, for example, in the Book of Mormon story, the Lamanites were cursed. They wipe out the Nephites who were the righteous. And then so God makes it so that the Gentiles come and, and wipe them out. And then they're, they're blessed with Christianity here in America. But doesn't that go against one of the articles of faith that children won't be punished for the sins of their parents? No, because that article of faith only is is just dealing with infant baptism and how the Catholics. Oh, say, if your okay. baby's not baptized, he's going to hell because of the fall. That's what that was about. But God, know, to me, it's the says, entire scriptural canon talks about how God deals with families, and some are cursed, and some are blessed. Uh, that, that's everything you read in the scriptures is talking about. That's right. That's profoundly unjust. He, he makes no, it does make sense. It talks about it like as a document that that we accept as a you know a, an aggregate form of historical things that might have happened. But like, what does that have to do okay, with look, look, look. doctrinal? Like, I don't think even as an active believing Mormon before I left the church, Mike, like the Abrahamic covenant and what tribe was this? Like, it just, even then, I just brushed it aside because I had no idea. There was, like, no relevancy at all. Like, it didn't make any sense. It was just a relic of the past. And um, I still, to this day, have never understood why it matters because it, it's not practical in any sense of how the plan of salvation works. Well, it's the, to, to me, it did, it did matter 
Bob, but I had like the Elder Price complex where <laughs> I I knew that I was destined for incredible things and that I had come through an incredible bloodline with incredible blessings and that, you know, I, I was of the tribe of Ephraim, which meant God had chosen me and put me in this you know, like Mike referenced earlier in the book of Abraham, the noble and great ones and the pre-existence preordained to be a light unto the entire world and to raise everyone else up out of the dust. Why can't I be as eloquent as you, Glenn? Seriously. I love it, I, I that, love it Glenn. That that You're, was like... That was beautiful. That That was like that whole elitist, and we've had this argument before, Mike, that the elitist view that made me feel special and better than everybody else that I, I started looking at and going, whoa, I don't want to be that douchebag. Once I started realizing that, I'm like, that is so douchey. I don't, I don't like that. You, well, that's because if you're, if you're part of that covenant, you're the worker, you're, you're the one that has to go out and do the work and do the job and bring the light of the gospel to people and bring them into the covenant. But anybody can be part of the covenant. It doesn't matter anymore. Like, it's not a prerequisite to do anything. And the reason why is because that blood of Ephraim got scattered amongst all the people, and so they fell under the power of the covenant. It, oh. it, 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 it's a way of making you feel special. If you can trace your blood back to these noble, great, you know, I mean, people do it now with ancestry they're, where they're like, oh, I, I paid $25 to who's who in my ancestry and found out that I'm related to Charlemagne. Yeah, but you know, that's, but that's convoluting look, okay. two things. Like one, one, one thing is I'm proud of my ancestry and look what my ancestors did, but then it's taking it to a whole other level when it's like, therefore, this is justification for God's almighty wisdom of segregation and bringing people like it still doesn't. I mean, Glenn's argument only makes sense if we just admit that this is all man-made and it's just a self-reflection of, of, of man's preoccupation. But it's not the, with entire script, the entire scriptural canon, Bible, Book of Mormon, Dr. Covenant is all about this thing. And this, this is my point number three is that by writing this essay and putting out the crap that's in it, they've missed in it a huge teaching moment. The fact that we're having this conversation is because this hasn't been taught clearly enough, and they missed a huge opportunity here to explain, you know, that God operates through families, and there's a, there's a reason and a purpose behind priesthood bands and priesthood blessings, and this is a teaching moment, and they blew it. Yeah, well, that's because, because they would have the lost Bible. converts if they if they take that position, Mike. They lose converts. This, this ties in directly when Moroni appeared in Joseph Smith's bedroom. He says, "Now is the is the time of Elijah, where the turn the hearts of the fathers to children, the children of the fathers." That's what all this is about. But Mike, you know that didn't really happen, right? Of course, it happened. You, you mean the Moroni with the white chest and the white hair and the white robe? That Moroni? And, and, well, no, no. Not only that, Bob. You could see through his robe and see his breast. He was not wearing garments, bitch. <laughs> oh, brother. Gar- garments hadn't been conceived of at that point. That's I mean, true. this is the this is the title page of the Book of Mormon. This is, what are the two reasons be, of Why would he not be wearing garments? I don't know. I understand. Gar- don't garments go back to the ancient Solomon temples? Maybe the robe was the garment, Randy. There Have you, you ever thought of that? Oh, why don't you think of that? I didn't hear Joseph mention any markings on yeah, the robe. He just didn't know. <laughs> Glenn, I love how you answer things exactly like yourself of ten years ago. It's like beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna challenge, challenge yourself. <laughs> Stick to that thought pattern. Yeah. This, this title page of the Book of Mormon. It, it, you know, it 
to, to remind the house of Israel who their fathers were and the promises made to them so they can take hold of them and operate through that priesthood that's in their lineage that they have a right to. But nowadays, nobody has a right to anything based on their lineage. Like, that is such an antiquated, like, nobody adheres to, you, to that. To Mormonism, you. not just to me, to anyone in affiliated with Mormonism, there's no relevance to, you know, everybody you, gets... That's a pretty sweeping statement, Bob. Really? You're baptized, yeah. baptized yeah. you get... You get a patriarchal blessing, and you find out what your job is. Okay, so patriarchal blessing is optional for one. And for two, let's say you get that piece of useless, batshit, crazy information in it that says you're part of the tribe that everyone else is a part of, Ephraim. What does that mean? It means nothing. It doesn't change how you act as a Mormon day to day. It doesn't wait, change wait, your... wait. More importantly, those who have been identified as the other tribes, what do they do differently than what everybody that's Ephraim does? Right. Nothing. No, that actually, in the, you're going to find in the Old Testament manuals this area in your Sunday school, if you go, that there's a whole lesson on what the different <laughs> tribes' jobs are. If well, you me, go, that's our problem is we're not going. I have a lot of friends who were Manasseh because they were islanders, and there was some um, patriarch at some point believed that they had to uh, identify them as Manasseh. Um, Notwithstanding that other people were also identified as Ephraim, but what's so? What's the job that the Manasseh tribe does versus different than I'd what have we to look do. it up? I got a book so, around here that has it in. But it. Mike, if it's so it. important to God to have this family lineage, name one time in your life where you've talked to somebody. Like you should have it on the tip of your tongue. This person, my ward, is this tribe, and he does this. This person is this tribe, and he does that. You don't know the tribe of anybody. You barely know the tribe of yourself, probably, and your wife. Um, <laughs> where are you like, from? Like, Oh, you're yeah, Ephraim. Ephraim. Okay. Like everyone so, else. Exactly. Like, what does it matter? Like, if that's the structure of God's church and it's the same as it was back then as it is today, all that good stuff, like, where, where is the significance? Where, where is that in the day-to-day operational, everybody has a different job to do because of their tribe sort of thing? I don't see it at all. Well, Ephraim's job is to proclaim the gospel and bring them into the covenant. That's the job of everyone in the church. There's, no, there's nothing that says, you're a part of Manasseh, you don't, you don't need to go on a mission, you don't need to proselyte, you're done. Every like, member a missionary. Yep. <laughs> it's all one tribe, Mike. There's no, there's no like, significance to families in that way. Like, it doesn't, I'm, I'm just still struggling with why this mattered um, other than... I, I, I'm, I'm reticent to say, though, with the certainty that you have, Bob, that this... This is a non-issue for every single person in the church. I, th- I think I think there are, and I don't have any evidence of this except for Mike, but I, I think there are people um, in the church who do know what the different roles are. I know I did at one point, and I was really interested in, oh, you know, I, I had a companion on my mission who was of the tribe of Judah, and he was Japanese, and what did that mean? You know, it, it had all this meaning about the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel to me. But it had no meaning, because you can't remember how anything changed. Like, do you have an example of how, did you figure it out? Did no, 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 no. Like, like if, if, if he thought, okay, I have a different role in the church, I don't have to go on a mission because only Ephraim are missionaries. I mean, I don't think that it has that significant of a role, but as far as like his personal view of where he fits in God's plan, if if the, I, I think there's things out there like in in the blessing that Jacob gave to each one of his sons, that I think that's 
Genesis somewhere that you could go and read what he gave to each one of his sons. So if you're told in your patriarchal blessing that you're Manasseh or Benjamin or Judah, and then you go and you read that, then you've got, okay, th- this, is, this is who I am. This is the special mission. And like, so to, to think that nobody does that in the church and, and it has a personal meaning to them, I, I, I can imagine that people would because I know that I did. No, you're That's right. I, I remember Come very on. firmly believing that if anyone who was found to be the tribe of Levi would automatically become bishop. And I don't know where – there must be some source for that, but I remember believing that strongly. So you're, you're right, yeah. to, at least to a degree. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the ultimate goal is is to to have that patriarchal line, and and say because I'm tied to him. Uh, like the reason so many people remember the brethren in the earliest church would would be sealed to each other, because if one is, becomes the great patriarch and is exalted, because if they're tied to him, gay marriage. No, yeah. if they're tied to him, at least they get to be a servant in that household. At least you know it, it's these family ties and bonds. That tie you to a household of exaltation. You, if you have the name of Christ on you, you get the blessings of Christ. If you get the name of, of this, you know the, the the goal is for your family name to be tied to exaltation, and all those tied to you get to go with you. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm siding. I'm siding with Bob here, uh, uh, and, and I've, I been just in, got... I've been in ward councils and all that bullshit, and <laughs> and in day to day operations of the church. When you're, even when you're calling a bishop or you're calling a stake president, do you think they're fucking pulling up their patriarchal blessings to see what tribe they're in? No, no, no. I agree with that. They're I agree interviewing with that. people. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you think but, it'd be good? But they have, have the inspiration to know, Randy. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this is just summed up in one sentence that this is just an outward reflection of a, a systematic way of everyone getting to think that they're special when they're all the same. That's like all. All this is it's just like one big one big farce it's like we need a system so that the lowest of the low the highest of the high all have a place and are all special it means no, nothing but, but it just makes yeah, it but the special. system doesn't anymore i mean per that, that okay. and that's what it with, with, this, it this, policy, way. with this essay it, if you want to go to heaven whose name do you have to have on you joseph smith's christ okay you have to be baptized into the name of christ Right. If we're all to be Christ-like, then we should treat our names with the same respect we treat His, and have our names mean something, and have our family mean something. You know, Christ—that's that's the goal. Christ is a Greek term. Yeah. So, like Joseph, Joseph so Smith. I did, understood. So, so, do you believe this, Mike? Really, what what you wrote? Yeah. No. What right here? We're so basically, if this is to be accepted, the essay. Revelation has ceased prior to Spencer W. Kimball. Is that? I mean, that's a uh, an if then. Do you, do you stand that, that, by that? That's. That, I'm saying those that read it on a surface level, that's what you tend to take away, and that is a load of. I don't think if you read closer, it doesn't say that, but that's the gist. If you just read it loosely. Well, I, I can I can I get into your mind here, Mike? So. At, at any point prior to you calling all these people and raising a ruckus, did you ever feel like, well, the brother on our on this extraordinary level, and I can't criticize him. I mean, there's that clip of Dallin Oaks saying, "You can't criticize the brethren, even if they're wrong." Where, well, where did you fourteen principles of following the prophet talk? Where did you de- where did you decide? You know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to step over the line and I'm going to criticize them. I'm going to go after them and tell them they're wrong on this one. 
No, I, I've, I've read enough biographies and family stories about living with prophets and apostles. They don't claim to be infallible. No, I mean, we're not talking about infallible, though. I, I mean, that, I feel like that you're using an extreme analogy there. We're talking about close to infallible or, you know, like <laughs> they're just on the perfect. But at I least think on, the import, on the important at things. At least on Tom, this issue. On the important things. They, you know, we at least on exaltation of a race of people. But my yeah. understanding of, of Mike's position is that he doesn't think that that they received wrong revelation or anything like that. It's this committee that wrote it and that they signed off on it and they don't really understand what they've done. But, exactly. but he's also That's how but, I feel. Yeah. But you're saying that they weren't even inspired when they gave the stamp of approval. Right. Well, it's kind of like when Joseph got the Kinderhook plates. Well, this looks pretty good. OK, let's let's, I'll, you know. On surface level, this looks acceptable. Go with it, you know. But now we find out later that the Kinderhook was bogus, and I'm telling you, this essay is bogus. So, Mike, so if, uh, they, are... if they clarify this, if the first presidency come out and they clarify and say, nope, we reviewed it, and we actually are now affirming that the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve avow that this is what we meant. We really, really, really super tappy to 2014 meant it. Then what? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to take it from there. Hey, Mike, are you familiar with the proclamation number two? Wolf or Wood? Yes. What, yes. Does it, what does it say? Uh, well, there's not going to be polygamy anymore. No, that the Lord no, will never two. allow two. his. Two, not one, two. Jesus, don't you know your fucking scriptures? <laughs> Easy, Randy. Easy. How often do we reference number two? Proclamation two, the Lord will never allow his church to be led astray. If so, okay. he will re- he will remove. Right, correct. Okay, so at what point do you will, will you draw the line in the sand where the church is being led astray? If you think a committee is leading the brethren astray, what's next? Uh, Spoiler alert: it, We brethren are essay. the committee. <laughs> <laughs> it's just be- an essay. Do you believe the church will never be led astray? Yes. Uh, this like, is Christ, Christ leads his church. These are Christ's apostles. That, that's one of the things that's upsetting is if these are Christ's apostles today, all the ones prior to 78 were Christ's apostles hand-chosen then. Hey, so Mike, hang on, hang on, hang on a second. I, I got I to ask this. I know I'm ripping a can of worms open, so, so let's just cool it before I say this. I'm just saying this is a hypothetical, Mike, so you know, take a deep breath, brother. Okay. Let's just say hypothetically that the church okay they they found a way to be okay with homosexuals. Okay. <laughs> I thought I already say, brought, I, I thought I already brought this up. <laughs> I know, but let's just say hypothetically, I mean, because we're talking about you having problems with what the brethren approve, Mike. If they did, would would your feelings be even more so? Would you would you make twice There's, as many phone calls? Would, would you leave the church? I mean, what kind of conflict would be going on in your head there? It's impossible. It's dog. No, 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 no. See, you're not entertaining but my so hypothetical. Is this. I don't think he understands the word hypothetical. <laughs> so just pretend. <laughs> pretend. Then you, then, you, then you hit your knees and say, "Please send us a new prophet." Is that what you'd really say? Yes. You'd be, you'd be like the church. The church is the, the church is led is no longer being led by you, God. Uh, we're we're in apostasy. But you're not point. to that point on this one yet, right? This no, this no. is just an essay. You're saying that this is a problem, but it's not 
it's just a sleight of hand or, or a mistake and a clerical error or you know bad judgment call it didn't stay on the desk long enough before somebody got, the, got happy yeah somebody got happy with the rubber stamp yeah <laughs> i i sustain the the first hey. presidency in the 12th i just don't sustain this essay is is it because Thomas Monson's senile? Do you think that's how they slipped it past? Him? No, everybody. You know, I keep hearing rumors like that, and then you see him, and he's just you see him in an interview or up at conference, and he's clear as day. You know. Uh, hey, who has more? Who do you think has more authority in the church, Mike, the first presidency, or Curtin McConkie, the church's law firm? <laughs> they aren't they employed by the first presidency? Yeah. So. Who, who do you think has more influence over the church? That's like saying who has more influence, the cash register guy at the KFC or the manager in the back. Oh, nice. I like it. <laughs> that was pretty good. So which, which one is the cash register in the back? The lawyers are the, the cash register. Oh, okay. Yeah, right now, the guy at the cash register, he's running the show. But if the attorneys write all the policies and all the, you know, and, and this is the same thing, the PR... The PR. That, that's just a sad statement of the day. Is that is that when you have a large church that's global, and everything can get picked apart, you have you you have a message to get out, but then you have to run it through legal to avoid all the crazy people in the world that want to throw a lawsuit every time they turn their heads. That's yeah, just a sad the, statement of the day. But between the law firm and these SI, essay writing committee members and the PR firm, I, where where does the first presidency come in? Well, they they direct. I wanted to say this. You put it in legal language, you know. Oh, that's a problem, isn't it? We. That's just a sad state of the affairs. But is that what they did here, Mike? Except with with the lawyers, they did it with the historian. They did it with this committee and said, "Here's what we want to say. Put it in the proper language, and we'll sign off on it." They really screwed the language up. Didn't they commission this? Yes, they commissioned it. By the way, for the record, I think Mike is just living in like a, a pre-correlated state of the church. Like back to Tom's point of like, how can you be challenging? And and if you if you do go back, you know, before David O. McKay, this type of stuff, um, which doesn't get very much press nowadays because the church has sort of buried it. But if you read real history, I mean, the brethren and and even bishops and stake stake presidents were challenging each other on fundamentals like this all the time. And, you know, there, there was even wars at the apostle level. And, you know, you just look at evolution as an example. I can't remember the apostle's name on, on either side, but then one, B. one over the other. B.H. Roberts v. Joseph Fielding Smith. Yes. Wasn't Talmadge involved in that too? Talmadge, yeah, was, Talmadge too. was on Talmadge was on B.H. Roberts side, but B.H. Roberts and Joseph Fielding Smith were the two main guys. That's fun stuff to read too. That's, so that's to, enthralling. So, Mike, do you feel like correlation overall has been like a detriment? Because I, I feel like it's not your style. It's not the church. Like you're, you're really, you're really like Mormonism pre pre correlation. I don't mean to like put you in a box, but that's kind of how I think of you. And well, I that's the most exciting books when you go to like, especially in Utah, they have a lot of the bookstores, and you can find some great stuff if it's printed like pre nineteen fifty or fifties and sixties. There's some good stuff, and it's Wait. it's just the simple gospel, and it's exciting. And then you get into correlation, and it's like we have to simplify everything, but also it's almost like whitewash it. Be too careful. Just, hey, did did we ever cover Mike? If if this is doctrinal, how do you reconcile Joseph Smith's time and the fact that he did give blacks the priesthood? You know, that's you know maybe he got a good vibe off of, him and these guys are good and go with it. They, you know, if the whole point was the cultural aspect, you know it. 
if, if are they living in a culture that that's priesthood? Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. No. Cultural what? Not, like I thought not, we just got done. Go it's about this. family. It's family. about lineage. It's about family. Right, a family <laughs> is a culture. Right, but if there's an exception to the rule, Mike, then the then there is no rule. Like on this one, you can't <laughs> look, look, look. both ways. Let's, let's touch on this. Let's touch on this. Why are women veiled? That's a great question. Why are they? Okay. Women because are veiled. Of misogyny. No, you, you think about <laughs> who stands between us and heaven is Christ. Christ stands at the veil. And he has prepared a place, and he is in charge of who gets through into that sacred place. Women are veiled for the same reason in the other direction. They stand between premortal world and our world, and they are in charge of the culture those people enter into. So where okay. does the veil come in? What? That didn't make any that sense. One. You pass in the veil between the pre-mortal world and the, and the mortal world. The, the, we call it the veil of forgetfulness, where we forget the pre-existence and, and mm-hmm. or forget like the pre-mortal I, world. I understood every one of those words, just not in the order you put them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, the point is that the women are in charge. The men can seal and bind people in the priesthood all day long, but if the Holy Ghost doesn't ratify the work we do in the priesthood, it's useless. So women create an environment the Holy Ghost can dwell in. That's this whole family line we're talking about is the families create culture for the Holy Ghost to thrive in so the priesthood can be effective. Yeah, that's why they hide their faces. But but, but, but let's go back to that guy, that guy, you know, Elijah Abel or whomever that that we know was given the priesthood. Why the exception? He's still part of that same culture, that lineage that you're talking about. He's living in Nauvoo among the saints, and he's one of the saints. Um, Why can't any other black person use the same argument? Wow. Be, Thank you. No, you know what? I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you for proving our point. Yeah. Well, what, what about that Manning lady that was living among the saints in Salt Lake and petitioned to the day she died to just get her endowments? Uh, I'm sure she was first in line after 78 and they ran her through the system. <laughs> there, there's a whole book about her. Uh, Brigham was a total dick to her. <laughs> Joseph Smith was not racist. He was a progressive. For all his foibles, for all his Don't problems, you foul the name of that great man with a, telling him a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quit putting him up there. Dare you, sir. He was I a total liberal. He was about free. He was about I said he was, a pro- he was progressive. He, he was, was not he was not a liberal. He was progressive. Same yeah. poisonous language. How dare you, sir? <laughs> poisonous. <laughs> that was pretty good. I think we, yeah, we, we uh, beat you know, this one Mike, to death. For, for for how much I despise everything you stand for, <laughs> I can't help but admire you taking on how many of us? One, two, three, Listen, four of us. I hate Mike online. We have I hate him. <laughs> I I like the guy in person. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> who, who doesn't? Yeah, who doesn't love Mike? Who doesn't love Mike? It's true. You're standing in the middle of the ring while four guys are just kicking and beating the shit out of you, and you're just like, yeah, give me more. And he won't Make fall down. Sure. We're like, what's wrong with this guy? Why does he just fall over? Except I do, I do agree with him. I agree with his points. I think he's right that, that it is doctrinal. They can't back off it without just saying amen to the revelation and the priesthood of that man and all those men that came before him. Well, remember even me in your press tonight. Anyone for the closing prayer?
Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Lynn. Mike. Good, good to meet you online. It. I think this. I think this is our first time uh, chatting online. It's good to good to speak with you voice to voice. You too. Thank you very much. See you, Mike. 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 Good night. Good night. Good night. night. Hoy. Wow. What a piece of work. He's Not got. Man. He's got the thickest skin of any human I've ever I come know. across. Dude, he, how do you not have respect for the guy making calls saying this is a bunch of garbage? Dude, I don't, I don't know. I love it. I think it's. And I again, balls. I agree with him. He is yeah. right. Yeah. He's the only one that has the balls to say, "Come on, now let's embrace the doctrine." It's the well, same you, way with people. People did it with polygamy too, right? How dare you remove yeah. it? You know who yeah. else was like that? Hitler. <laughs> he really believed in his principles of, of ridding the world of the evil. Oh, Jews. the lowest common denominator. And oh my God! Go how, but how committed was he to his vision? He was so committed; nobody could could knock him off his track. No, and I got I got to admire the guy for that. Hitler-sized balls, man. <laughs> that guy had balls. Well, that and you know, this is the first time that this whole servant thing kind of struck with me, with the. Uh, that they become servants, but, but that's not that. This, this, that's not this what feels. This feels like child's play to me. I've gone round and round with him with the homosexual thing. It, that is so much more egregious, man. Mike, it is, but it, he, he is right. Swinging, but he is right that he has some at least some foundations in scripture on that. And so as long as you you come from that premise, what well, you can't what, you Leviticus? have Leviticus. Is yeah, that Leviticus. Jesus yeah. didn't say jack shit about homosexuals. Yeah, there's he, really he actually, not. Uh, he actually yeah. was pro-slavery. That that's very clear. Uh, but Jesus didn't say shit about homosexuality. You got to go all the way back to Leviticus to get anything on that. Oh, and, and, if they, and if they stand on Leviticus, I mean, talk about a cherry pick in the Old Testament. Oh my God, oh, totally. Horrible. Just read the ten verses before and the ten verses after, and exactly. live by that. Right, but the problem is, is as even if Jesus came out and said the same thing, as if that would be any more authoritative, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying he doesn't have a ton. There's not a ton of stuff to back up anti-gay rhetoric. There's, there's not. It, the Bible says almost nothing about it. Right, it's, except it's, but the, but the brethren have, and they haven't backed off that one. So he can certainly pull out every quote and statement of the of the modern era leaders as well. So. That yeah. one, that one, just we come from fundamental places of, of what what we find persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> How many verses in the Book of Mormon about homosexuality? Mm. None. Less than one. Nephi, Nephi was a little gay. He was a gay. <laughs> ha, gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw the movie. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, think. Having been raised of fabulous parents. But uh, never mind. Fabulous. <laughs> 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 Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.